Hello and welcome to the Facts Over Fandom Show. My name is Brandon Podgorski. I am your host. Happy Friday. I hope you're having a great week. Now, the subject we're going to get into today might be stepping on some toes. We're going to be talking about sports gambling and, and talking about having a good week. There are some out there in the NFL right now having a tough week of it. And we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to offer some Uncle Brandon advice later in the show in our second segment um, to professional players as we talk about gambling. But before we jump into sports gambling, again, want to welcome you. Please, if you haven't already, we want to connect with you. And I say that the royal we. This show is just me. I want to connect with you. I want to hear from the audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FOF underscore show. You can check out the show, um, the the visual show. Uh, it's not the best looking thing you're you're ever going to look at. What you're ever going to look at? I had a guy at the gym come up to me the other day and say, "Hey, you know, older gentleman, say, hey, has anybody told you you look like Bruce Willis?" Now I understand, like all bald guys here, we all look the same. If you're checking us out on YouTube or Rumble, you can see me. I don't know. I, I just, I don't see the Bruce Wills. I, I just don't see it. My wife says I do. I look like him. Now for me, I think like I'm a doppelganger of, of Matt Hasselbeck, but this isn't just an audio show. This is a visual show. If you want to look at this ugly mug, you can do that. Like I said, on YouTube or rumble, uh, we're on youtube.com slash at the at symbol at FOF underscore show. If you go to Rumble, just type in Facts Over Fandom. You can uh, check us out there. Audio, we are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon. Now, Spotify is kind of our preferred area for you to, to listen to us. Um, it helps us with some, some ranking things, and, and certainly if we ever want to monetize the show later. Uh, so I would ask, if you're going to listen to us on audio, listen to us on Spotify. You can check us out there. Um, but either way, Numbers are increasing. That means more people are listening and engaging with the content. So please give us a five-star rating, like, subscribe. All of that stuff really helps. And especially on YouTube, we're seeing a lot of people check us out on YouTube. So again, sorry, I'm not better looking, but I really appreciate you being here. You know, this is the place in this show where we look at the intersection of sport, business, and culture. And I think what we're going to talk about today with sports gambling is going to hit on all three. Now, I talked about ethics a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to get into some of the ethical concerns with gambling, but I am not here to, to be your, your ethical guide, to be your moral guide. Um, I, I'm not your pastor. I'm not your priest. Um, so I'm going to do my best to not editorialize and just stick with the facts. Again, that's the name of the show, Facts Over Phantom. But I do want to present some things on sports gambling um, because you know, just personally, I work with young people every day. You know, as a college professor, I'm working with people from 18 to, to 23 years old every day. And now that sports gambling is ostensibly legal across the United States, now states themselves have to make it legal in their states. Um, I, I hear a lot more chatter in students uh, or, or young people are a lot more open with their experience in sports gambling. So 
Let me take you back a few years. I've got a lot of notes. So if you're checking us out on YouTube, probably the best thing to do on YouTube, don't watch me. I don't. I wish I had the, the production quality and, and the skills to be able to bring up different overlays and, and switch between screens and all that stuff. I'm sorry, I, I don't. Just kind of put us on and listen to us in the background. But I've got a lot of notes that we're going to go through. So if you're watching again on YouTube or Rumble, you're going to see me kind of going through different things here on my computer. But I want to go back a few years and I want to talk about um, the Supreme Court and when they made the decision back in 2018, so five years ago, to strike down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. So this was an, uh, an act in 1992. Again, it was called the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, and it barred state authorized sports gambling with some exceptions, like for example, you could go to to Nevada. People have been to Vegas, and you could sit in the sports book, and you were able to wage on single games out there in Nevada. But for the most part, it was a blanket law across the United States that said you could not have um, sports wagering on single games. So that's why people would wager illegally through bookies and things like that. But they ruled. Um, they they overturned. Basically, they they struck down the law or, or overturned the law, and now it's up to the states to decide if they want sports gambling. And so states, in preparation for this law being struck down or, or this act being struck down, they were ready to go and ready to put to make it legal in their states. And this is why we've seen just a proliferation, right, of online sports gambling um, and then sports books coming in to different states. So I want to share some facts with you and some statistics. And um, this comes from the good people at Odds Assist, some sports betting statistics uh, that give us a, a bigger overall picture of what goes on in sports gambling. I want to talk a little bit about the percentage of people who actually win in sports gambling. Then I want to talk, I, I want to save kind of the professional side. We're, we're going to talk about professional athletes in sports gambling. I'm going to save that a little bit more for the Uncle Brandon advice, but I do want to talk about college athletes and college students in sports gambling and just some of the ethics with that. All right. So set up the show. Let's jump into it and let's go. Let's look at some statistics here in sports betting. So since June 2018, remember this act was overturned in May 2018, Americans have wagered. How much do you think Americans have wagered? Just, I'll give you a second. Think about it. If you had to come up with a dollar amount in the past five years, how much have Americans bet on sports? If you said $200 billion, $200 billion with a B, B for bruh, $200 billion, bruh, that's how much we have wagered on sports gambling, $200 billion. Leading the way has been New Jersey with $34.8 billion, Nevada, $30.5 billion, Pennsylvania, $19.7 billion, Illinois, $18.7 billion, and New York, $18.5 billion. So for states, this is great news because this brings in a lot more tax revenue for these states, so along with um, federal taxes that you have to um, pay on your winnings above $600. So um, the total sports betting handle in 2021 was over $57 billion. Um, the number of people regularly betting on sports, it increased by 
in 2021. Um, so I think we had probably a lot more people who were at home with COVID able to, to uh, bet. We had more online betting options kind of coming into play, pe people being able to use those. And then leagues started partnering with a lot of these uh, different um, different online wagering companies, whether it be FanDuel, um, DraftKings, PointsBet, all these other ones, uh, MGM, uh, Barstool has their own. Um, they've been partnering a lot more with these leagues, and so we're seeing them a lot more and more people are getting involved. Okay. Um, legal sports, sp I'm sorry, legal sports betting, it is now legal in 33 states, so we'll probably see more come online here in the next few years. If we think about who makes up the biggest market share, uh, FanDuel is number one at 40%. They have 40% of the market share in DraftKings, 29%. So almost 70% of the online gambling or, uh, market share are just uh, the most popular sports book in the U.S. Um, were FanDuel and DraftKings at 40 and 29% respectively. And you see them advertising the most and partnering with leagues the most. Um, 50. Now, this is interesting, right? So, again, I, I am not here to tell you what's right and what's wrong, but I do want to present some actual statistics and actual data to, for you to show you that the house is going to win. All right. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, and I've only been to Las Vegas once for me, once was enough, I think two or three days there. Hey, you know, it, it was cool. I got to see it. I couldn't believe something like this actually exists in America. You know, I'm kind of, you know, you're just average kind of conservative um, Midwest kid growing up. So going out to Vegas for me was a real eye opener. Um, if you've ever been to Vegas, it, it's rare to see casinos just shut down, right? It's rare to see casinos go out of business. You know, they're always constantly building and expanding and having like all these cool shows and that and the biggest name stars coming out um, because they don't have a habit of losing. So with that in mind, 57 percent of sports bettors have used a credit card to deposit in 51 percent of those who have done that has have gone into debt as a result. Right. 28.9% of bettors have gone into debt to deposit money in their accounts as well with that. All right. So over half of sports bettors, they've used a credit card to make a deposit. So to use these games, you know, if you're um, on your phone here, let's say, you, you know, you got FanDuel, DraftKings, whatever it is, um, they go on there. You have to make a deposit in order to play. So let's say you make a $20 deposit, right? Well, some people are, are making much bigger deposits to, to play and they're going into debt because they're not winning. They are not winning. They are not getting that money back, right? Half of people who have done that have gone into debt. And if you're talking about your finances, debt will drag you down. It's like one of the number one things that's going to keep you from, um, from building wealth in your future is having debt. I would stay away from debt as much as humanly possible. Again, now that's me editorializing a little bit, but that's me giving you some free advice as well. Um, the average bet is $172, while the median bet is 50. 
So while $172 might not seem that high, to me, that was a little bit surprising, just knowing that um, a lot of people I know, and again, it's just because of the population that I'm around, but a lot of people that um, I'm around being a younger population, $172 um, on one bet is a lot of money. And that's a lot of money for people to lose as well. So if you think um, there was a, I think there was a statistic, I'm not going to get the statistic correct, but the average um, American doesn't even have $400 in savings in, if emergency would pop up. So, you know, losing $172 as a, on an average bet, you know, assuming you'll lose and, you know, spoiler alert, you're going to lose more than you're going to win, um, quite a bit of money, right? Um, and I told you this skews a little bit younger. People aged 44 or under, they bet more than their peers. Um, what was also kind of interesting, I don't think it's a shock that more men bet than women, but one in three women are betters. So we're seeing women getting involved in this as well. 12% uh, of Americans bet at least once a week. 87% of bettors uh, place their wagers weekly. Um, sports bettors are three times more likely to develop gambling addiction than other gamblers. So that's a little bit more unique to sport, not gambling in other ways, maybe going to a casino, playing blackjack, craps, poker, things like that. Um, and there's been studies on this. And the high of winning is not as intense as the emotion of losing. And so what happens is that when you lose, you want to bet more to make up for that loss. But as I'm going to show, uh, explain here, you're going to lose more often than you're going to win. And so you keep losing, 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 trying to make up for those wins. Um, because when you win, there's kind of a euphoric high, but it doesn't last very long as much as losing kind of gnaws at you. And you think, I can make this back, right? So it's very, very dangerous. Um, and almost all sports bettors, they wager for entertainment or to make money. As we survey, especially college students, as we survey younger people, the number one reason why they bet is to make money. Um, 60, about 64%, about six, over a little over 64% of bettors, they do research before they bet. So, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily a shock. Um, betting the spread. Uh, is one of the most common types of wagers and the total, the over-under and the spread. Those are the most common types, uh, but there's you know other kind of parlays that you can do along with that. And 81.1% of bettors, they use multiple sports books, but only 35.9% compare odds and lines most of the time or always, which is kind of interesting. You know, you're going to do all this research for the team in these games, but there's multiple sports books that you can bet through and they don't all they don't all have the same spread for the game they don't all have the same over under for the game um the money line their your odds on the money line might be a little bit different so you would think the the savvy person would kind of maybe hedge their bets a little bit pun intended i guess um and kind of look and and put money in in different places again i'm not telling you how to bet and i'm not saying it's it's a good thing um but just kind of from a um 
a, a strategic point of view, I guess, um, I would think not only do I want to research the teams, but where can I get the best odds looking at different sports books there? Because we see uh, over 81% of users use multiple sports books. So if you're going to do that, to me, it only seems like make rational sense to actually kind of play them against each other. All right. So here's the bad news with this. Looking at the profitability of long-term sports betting. And now there's been different studies on this. And it, I, I'll tell you, it is difficult to find this research. It's not extraordinarily easy just to go in, type it into Google and find this research because the S, um, the SEOs for these sports book companies, um, you know, if you kind of put in, you know, uh, odds of, of, of winning or odds of long-term winning or wins and losses with sports gamblers, it's going to come up with a whole lot of other search results um, because they don't necessarily want this information right out here in the open for everybody. Um, but somewhere between three to 5% of all sports bettors are profitable in the long run. Some can turn into pretty successful gamblers, um, but but most, they kind of take home modest winnings each year. Most of these successful gamblers have spent years perfecting a system that works for them. Um, it takes time, energy, and uh, certainly a lot of trial and error to get into a winning position. So 3 to 5% of all sports bettors are profitable in the long run. All right? Your odds of striking it big are very low. You know, your odds of having that $1 bet on a crazy parlay that's going to pay out $10,000 are extremely low. Again, that's why I titled the show, The House Always Wins, right? So if you're going to gamble, if you're going to get into sports wagering, that is a personal decision. I don't think it's the smartest thing you can do with your money considering you only got a three to 5% chance of actually making money back on this in the long run. Um, but, you know, if you would ask my advice, you would say, you know, only bet what you could lose. I certainly wouldn't bet anything more than that. So I wanted to talk about this topic because it's interesting this week with what's happened in the NFL, where it came out that a player from the Colts, Isaiah Rogers was busted for gambling, right? So again, I and it, it, it sounds like there's more and more in the NFL that's going to come out. Um, I'm sure it's kind of happening in other leagues, and I think there's other players who are caught up in, on that. I want to talk about that here again in the second segment. One thing I kind of want to switch gears a little bit, and I kind of prefaced this at the beginning of the show. I do want to talk about, colleges and universities and how the sports gaming industry is making its way into college sports and um, and on to universities just in general. And again, you know, it, I, I'm going to give you some stats. Um, I'm going to go to a, a blog post that I wrote for a website. And this has been, yeah, this has been a few months ago. And I, you, you make up your mind on what you think is is right or wrong. 
right? So let's talk about college, colleges and universities in sports wagering. Again, just because I deal with this quite a bit in my profession. And, and I'm sorry for those who are, who are watching on YouTube. I'm looking over here at a, at a second screen. So Michigan State University recently came under scrutiny. This has been a few months ago, uh, close to the beginning of the year, for email exchanges within the athletic department discussing the possibility of a corporate partnership between the department and Caesar Sportbook. Staffers were excited about the possibility of partnering with the online sportsbook and a possible payout of $1 million per year. In the end, the deal was actually more lucrative as Michigan State and Caesars agreed to a five-year contract worth $8.4 million. In total, eight universities currently have partnerships with online sportsbook, and the number of these partnerships are expected to grow as athletic departments search for ways to raise additional revenue. Although ethical questions abound regarding the partnerships between colleges and sportsbooks, the reality is that only 25 NCAA Division I athletic programs turned a profit in 2020. Now, that I know people are going to point and be like, well, COVID, COVID 2020. Um, that's usually the number just about consistently every year. So think about that. There are... Uh, I can't remember the the number. I, I think there's about 120 some odd NCAA Division One programs. Well, actually, more than that. It's it, it's about 330. If we're thinking about Power Five, about 120. But you know, about 330 um, NCAA Division One programs. Only 25, two five of those turned a profit in 2020. All right. So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the blog post here. So in a time of increased cost across the board, what are the other 325 non-profitable programs to do if presented with the same opportunity? So think about that if you're an athletic director, right? And I'm getting away from the blog post here real quick. Your department's facing a deficit, right? In per rules, the athletic department budget for an NCAA Division I school cannot be part of the school budget, all right? It's totally separate. They have to raise their own money. Now, they can get institutional support in the way of student fees, but they have to go out. You got to sell tickets. You got to get uh, sponsorships. You got to fundraise, right? Those are the ways that you raise, raise revenue in NCAA Division I sports. That's why you see so much conference realignment going on because, you know, the Big Ten brings in the most money from their media deals. It's why you see USC and, and uh, UCLA want to get into the Big Ten because they're facing deficits and they're facing shortfalls. And when we have a deficit, there's only a few things we can do. We can cut cost. We can increase revenue. That's about it. And so they're trying to figure out ways, how can we increase revenue? So if you've got a sports book coming to you and saying, hey, we want to advertise with you. Uh, we want to be one of your sponsorship partners and we're willing to give you a million or two a year. That's hard for an athletic director for a school to turn down. Okay, so we got that. Let's continue to go forward. The United States online gambling market was worth $2.65 billion in 2021, and it's expected to reach revenues of $7.61 billion in 2028. It's easy to understand why sportsbooks want access to college fan bases. Um, and again, remember, your average gambler is 44 years and younger. 
So additionally, the economic impact on states from online gaming has been significant. In 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned a 1992 law prohibiting sports gambling, which paved the way for the online gaming explosion. New Jersey was one of the first states to open online sports wagering and, as a result, had the highest total sports betting revenue within three years at $557.77 million. Um, we've talked about currently 33 states now allow online sports wagering. However, not all that glimmers is gold. Despite the nearly $700 million in tax revenue, um, and this is in the state of Indiana here, Indiana consume, and, and I say this because I live here in Indiana. So despite the $700 million in tax revenue that the state of Indiana received, consumers lost $2.5 billion on casinos and sports betting in 2022. There it is, right? So the state's rolling. There's incentives for states to roll out sports gambling because they're going to bring in millions of dollars in revenue and you, the citizen who's making these bets, are left staring into your pockets, going into debt because the house always wins. Let's continue. As more states legalize online sports gambling and access to sports wagering becomes easier, the losses across the country are likely to increase. This also corresponds with potential gambling addictions among U.S. adults, but particularly with those who are college-aged. The National Council on Problem Gambling estimates that gambling addiction among males 18 to 24 has grown 30% since the Supreme Court ruling in 2018. Additionally, college students gamble at a rate three times higher than the general population. This is especially true with college student-athletes since they have a higher rate of problem gambling than non-athletes. Important here even though gambling is a violation of NCAA rules. If you are an NCAA athlete, do not gamble is against the rules. You will lose your eligibility. This includes your buddies having just a an NCAA bracket pool. Everybody's throwing in five bucks, and then the winner goes home with 20. Doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it's against the rules of the NCAA, and you could be found ineligible. This includes D1, D2, and D3. All right, let's go back to the, the blog post. So in lieu of the addictive nature of sports gambling, do colleges have an ethical responsibility to avoid partnerships with online sports books? After inking their partnership with Caesars, LSU, Louisiana State University, sent an email to students, including some under the legal gambling age of 21, to, quote, Place your first bet and earn your first bonus, right? And you see this a lot. So, um, you know, it, I won't pick on any of the, the gambling websites, but you could go to any one of them and like, hey, we'll match your first deposit by 100%. So you deposit $20, we're going to match at $20. You got $40 to gamble with. And that's what happened here at LSU. So this prompted a strong response from financial expert Dave Ramsey, who called these schools idiots and said the number two addiction in North America today and the fastest growing addiction in North America today is online gambling. It starts with the sports betting as a gateway drug, end quote. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, also expressed his concern and wrote a letter to Caesars asking them to end their affiliations with American universities. 
As the cost of offering college athletics continues to rise, it is understandable that athletic departments will need to become creative to increase revenue. This may also turn into a keeping up with the Joneses situation as athletic departments strive to maintain a financial competitive balance with each other. What remains to be seen are any unintended consequences to the student body as a result of these partnerships. Until recently, alcohol sales were rare in college stadiums and arenas, but even this prohibition has begun to relax at schools across the country. Even as binge drinking remains an issue on college campuses, school officials may argue that the increased revenue is needed to maintain the budgets of the athletic departments. As institutions that are responsible for the stewardship of young adults, schools must wrestle with the ethical ramifications of these partnerships. So there's a lot there kind of at the end, all right? Uh, one, LSU gets into a partnership with Caesars. As part of that partnership, I, I'm assuming in the contract, as part of the activation with that, Caesars has access to the school email list. And we're going to send out an email to all the students. Well, the legal betting age is, is 21 um, there in Louisiana, apparently. And majority of college students, probably undergrads, are going to be under 21. And all of them are getting this email. <laughs> are there ethical considerations there? Right. We know college students have problems with gambling. And... Just even starting at a low rate, we know they're going to lose and they're going to continue to gamble. They're going to try to continue to recoup their losses and it's going to drive them into debt. And we already we all, we already hear about the student loan debt crisis. Is this kind of like giving a, an alcoholic a drink here? Right. And along with that, there's been a prohibition of alcohol sales in college stadiums for a long time, but now they're starting to ease up on that. And we know there's problems with binge drinking on college campuses, but we're going to start to serve alcohol at the games. And it is not very difficult if you're under 21 to get alcohol. Um, you know, whether you use a fake ID, you just go up and they don't check your ID or somebody buys alcohol for you. Right. So I understand that colleges are struggling financially right now. Believe it. Believe me. I, I, I'm I'm in it. I'm I'm in the environment. I I understand how this all works, and you've got to be creative and you've got to figure out ways to increase revenue for these departments. Is this the best way to do it? Do you have an ethical responsibility to your students to stay away from potential partnerships that can lead them down? A, a dangerous, addictive path. That's something that college presidents and administrations are going to have to wrestle with going forward. Um, and we'll see what happens. If I had to predict, I would think that we're probably going to see uh, more sports books getting into on getting into college campuses. Um, NIL wise, uh, I, I'll have to check. I, that's something I should have probably checked before the show. I'm going to assume with the NCAA, and I think this is correct, that you cannot enter into a partnership with a, with an alcohol company or tobacco. There's laws against that anyway, um, or gambling. You, you, you couldn't do an NIL deal with them. Um, but it will be interesting to see with the school, with the actual institution themselves, um, how their partnerships with these sports books, if, there's unintended consequences on the student body. So 
there you go. Sports betting here in 2023 and just what's been happening these five years since the overturning of um, of the Supreme Court um, with the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992. So stay tuned. I'm going to give a little Uncle Brandon advice to pro sports athletes who are thinking, thinking, or may who, who may already have gambled on their sport. But let me hit you with some knowledge. Okay, this is time for one of, I don't want to say one of my favorite parts of the week, but certainly a part of the week that I look forward to is dropping some knowledge on you, giving you some Uncle Brandon advice. And today's advice are for pro athletes. Specifically, this comes on the heel of Isaiah Rogers. So I'm going to read from Sports Illustrated here. The NFL is reportedly investigating Colts cornerback Isaiah Rogers for violating its gambling policy, and the fourth-year cornerback could be in for some very serious punishment. Pro Football Talk reports that Rogers is facing a potential lifetime ban from the NFL. Commissioner Roger Goodell has unilateral authority over all gambling-related cases, and the league's gambling policy gives him the right to kick Rogers out of the league. Uh, quote, disciplinary action may include, without limitation, severe penalties up to and including a fine, termination of employment, and or banishment from the NFL for life, end quote, the policy states. Rogers placed hundreds of bet bets, primarily in the $25 to $50 range, according to multiple reports. The NFL has cracked down on gambling within the league in recent years, but no player has been suspended for life yet. Three players were suspended indefinitely in May while wide receiver Calvin Ridley missed all of last season before getting reinstated this offseason. Rodgers released a statement taking responsibility for his actions, but seemed to imply he believes he will play again in the league. Quote, I've let people down that I care about. I made an error in judgment, and I am going to work hard to make sure that those mistakes are rectified through this process. It's an honor to play in the NFL, and I have never taken that lightly. End quote. The NFL has yet to address the situation as the investigation remains ongoing, but anything could be on the table. I also saw that there are possible other players who may have been caught um, gambling as well in the NFL. So this is some really easy Uncle Brandon advice. This this might be the shortest Uncle Brandon advice segment ever. If you're a pro athlete, don't gamble. Just about every pro sports league has about the same rule, different wording as the NFL where you are prohibited on gambling on sports, right? Especially your own sports. You cannot gamble on league games, right? Even if you're not involved, you cannot gamble on league games. And I guess my question would be to Isaiah Rogers, Calvin Ridley, anybody else, what's the upside? Especially in a sport like football, where if you're a cornerback like um, Isaiah Rogers, I think Calvin Ridley. I want to. I want to make sure I get this right. Yeah, he's a wide receiver. There's not. A, there's a little bit you could do, but there's not a whole lot you can do that's going to influence an outcome of a game. You're not a point guard where you got the ball in your hand every play. You're not a quarterback where you got the ball in your hand every play. You're not a pitcher, so. 
one, it's just stupid to bet on your own games because it's against the rules. But how much impact do you honestly think you're going to have to be able to hit that bet, right? So my uncle bringing advice to pro sport athlete, it's not worth it. And especially so we saw with Isaiah Rogers in, you know, I, I, I was going to say I'm not picking on it. I guess actually I can't, I, I kind of am picking on you because it's just stupid. Right. And, you know, I, I, I'm no better than you are. And, you know, you, you made a mistake, hundreds of them, <laughs> but, you know, think about this. You placed hundreds of bets within, it said about $25, $50 range. Okay. So let's say you placed bets, uh, total, and they pay out two to one, right? Again, I'm just using round numbers. Let's say you made $4,000 on that. Hey, good for you. If you give me $4,000, I'm taking it, right? But you're making hundreds of thousands, if not millions in the NFL. You're going to give that up for $4,000? I wish I had a producer or somebody else here in in the home studio with me where I could, am I going crazy? Am I missing something? Right? So pro sport athletes, there's so much more for you to lose. He may never play in the NFL again, forfeiting his contract in future earnings, futures endorsements, and all those things to win a couple thousand dollars gambling. I'm sorry. This is just stupid. It's stupid on top of stupid. And, you know, to a, to a certain extent, I feel bad for the kid. And, and I can say that because I'm in my 40s. So I feel everybody younger than me, everybody younger than 40 is, is a kid now. I'm getting to that point in life. It's, it's amazing. I, I, I feel bad to him for him for a certain, to a certain extent um, because, you know, he's in a, a prison of his own making and he's really going to be going through it right now um, in the media. But you have got to be smarter than this. You know, pro sport athletes. Be very discerning who you let in your circle, right? Everything you do is under a microscope. And there are people out there who do not have your best interest at heart. And I don't know, maybe he was making these bets on behalf of of somebody else. I think he had somebody making them on his behalf, but he was doing it for somebody else so they could keep the money or, or whatever, right? You know, you are under no moral or ethical obligation to help anybody just because they grew up with you or they're a friend of yours or or that they're even family. You know, you want to buy mom and dad a house and a car and, and help out siblings a little bit. I think that's amazing. I think that's one of the benefits of being a pro sport athlete and being a really, really, really high wage earner. I think that's a really cool thing to do. But again, you're under no moral or ethical obligation or, or, you know, anything else, obligation to do that. You do not have to do that because now you're putting your career and your family and your earnings and your future on the line because of it. All right. So, hey, you know, I, I hope Isaiah Rogers, Calvin Ridley, I hope all these guys, I hope you learned your lesson and I hope you never do it again. I hope you go on to to be a all pro and, and just have an amazing career and you learn from this and you overcome it. Um, I, I don't like to be the person that kicks people when they're down. That's not my thing. I'm not the guy who calls for firings. That's not my thing. 
um, because <laughs> I've been fired. It's not fun, right? Um, but you've got to be smarter. Be really careful who's around you. And that's my Uncle Brandon advice for pro sport athletes thinking about gambling. Same thing for you too, college athletes. You're not off the hook. You should be doing it at all. All right. It's one thing, you know, you're you're older, you're of age, you got the money, you're going to do it. But for you college athletes in the NCAA, do not do it at all because you're putting your eligibility at risk. So that's going to do it for today's Facts Over Fandom show. I will see you next Friday. As always, love each other, love God, be a good sport. Check us out on social media, Instagram and Twitter at FOF underscore show. Watch us on YouTube or Rumble and listen to us on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Google. Have a great week.